Well, a hearty good morning to each one of you. I thank you for the opportunity to stand before you and share with you some of God's words. Hope you will enjoy our study and you can take something home with you. To those that are listening by way of Zoom, we're glad you're tuning in and hope you can appreciate our service and learn and take something also. If I put something on the board, you see, that's an old, old term. We used to write on a board. If I put something up there, maybe. The word Christian. What do you think about when I just say the word Christian? Does that describe you? Absolutely. If not, we hope one day it will. But I want to think with you this morning about some things that the Lord teaches us about who we are. Many times or sometimes I hear brethren stand before an audience of people like this and say, well, we're all sinners. I challenge that statement. When I look at this congregation of people, I see brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We are all children of God. And that is way above the fact that we may sin once in a while as an individual. But when we gather together as a group of people to worship God, I don't want you to stand in front of me and say we're all sinners. I admit we sin once in a while. But while you're thinking about that, let me throw something out. If a person that is away from God, if he does something good once in a while, does that make him a Christian? Of course not. We know there are things that a person must do to become a child of God. Well, on the contrary side of that, if a Christian does something once in a while that is a sin, does that make him a sinner? We're going to talk about this a little bit. When you think about the word sinner, it's been so long since I worked this thing, I forgot how. Are we a saint or a sinner? A sinner. That is someone who has devoted his life entirely to a sinful lifestyle. He is preeminently sinful. Or especially wicked. That's the definitions for the word a sinner. And that doesn't fit children of God. That doesn't fit us today. In Matthew 9 and verse number 13. The scripture said, Go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, I challenge your thinking with that verse of Scripture. If the Lord calls you as a sinner to repent and come to Him, and you do that, are you still a sinner? Or did He make you something better than that? If a person accepts that invitation, he becomes a child of God and not a sinner. First Timothy 1, verse 15 and 16. 
Paul said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Again he calls sinners to repentance. And Paul said, I'm a chief of this. He was at one time. And so we have all lived in sin and ungodliness. But when we accept Jesus Christ and we obey that gospel, we become a child of God and not a sinner anymore. I know there's a button there somewhere. In Acts 1 and verse number 26, or 11 and verse number 26, I'll just do this the old-fashioned way. Acts 11 and verse number 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass... That whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So we have them that are called Christians, and they're not called sinners. So that is a lifestyle of those that are deep in the rebel, uh, the reveal, the re my tongue won't come. Rebels against the Lord. I'll get it out in a minute. They are wicked, sinful people. But what kind of a lifestyle does that word Christian pertain to? I go to Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. For he said, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? A child of God is dead. He is separated from a sinful nature, he becomes a child of God, and therefore we are called saints. Are you really living in sin? Not my brothers and sisters, Romans 6 and verse number 7. There the apostle said, For he that is dead is freed from sin. We are no longer bound in the captivity of a sinful lifestyle. We're children of God. And if we are Christians, we are dead to sin and freed from the dominion and the power of sin. Romans 6, verse 11 and through 13. Scripture said, Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof, Neither yield your members servants as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We are not following sinful lifestyle. We are children of God. We are forgiven. We live our lives as instruments of righteousness unto God and not instruments of sin. Now I go to 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse number 7. 
John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. You believe that? I love these verses. The next verse said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But he said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. So we have to be careful. We have to own up to the fact that we sin. We confess that sin, it's forgiven, and we're still children of God. Next scripture I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 3. Paul said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You may say, well, Brother D, why in the world did you put that in there? I want you to think with me for a moment. You are that important that the God of heaven gave His Son to come to this world, to be born of a woman, to live as a man, and to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. I know sometimes we all look down and say, well, we're not worthy. We're not that important. And we kind of shun back and just say, well, you know. But I want to remind us this morning, we're not to be boisterous. We're not to be bragging, but we are to accept the fact that God loved us that much that Jesus died for us according to the Scriptures. Now, let's go to 1 Peter 2 and verse number 24. Here Peter said, I'm going to read a different translation than what's on the board. Bear with me. And he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds ye were healed. Same words except just a little different. So when we think about that great love that God has for every one of us, that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Galatians 3 and verse number 27, there the apostle said, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, when you read that verse of Scripture, I want to ask you a question. Did you put on Christ when you were baptized? Absolutely. Then, my brothers and sisters, we live like we put on Christ. We live unto righteousness. We live unto holiness. We are not a follower and a dedicated servant of sin, but we are Christians. That means a Christ-like person. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 17. Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things 
are become new. So when we get into Christ, we have a new lifestyle. May I say, how do we get into Christ? We are born again. I go to John 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want to remind us this morning, when Jesus makes a statement, that is absolute truth. No man would dare question what Jesus has made the statement for. And what do you say? A man has to be born of water and of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Is that complicated? Is that hard to understand? Nicodemus had a little problem with it, didn't he? He said, how can a man be born when he is old? Jesus said he has to be born again. There's a lot of people say that water is when he is born of his mother. That's water. That's not the water Jesus is talking about. He said a man has to be born again and has to be born of water and of the Spirit. Compare that with what Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse number 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Again, I make the statement, when Jesus makes a statement, it is absolute truth. What do you say here? If you believe and are baptized, you shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And then I go to Luke 7 and verse number 30 where Jesus said the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves. How did they reject the counsel of God? Being not baptized of him. If that was rejecting the counsel of God to refuse John's baptism, what is it under heaven's sake if you refuse Jesus Christ's commission to be baptized? I want to ask a question. If you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're not baptized... According to Jesus, will you be saved or lost? Well, you may think that's not an important question. But I've got two scriptures, brother, that's not on the PowerPoint, so let me just use them. In James 2, in verse number 24, it said, See you then how that by works you are justified and not by faith only. You realize that's the only time in the New Testament that faith only is mentioned? Now connect that with James 2 and verse number 19. 
He said, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. He said, The devils also believe and tremble. And if you think that faith and faith only will save you, all the devils that have ever been are going to be saved because they believe in God. I know that's a pretty hard statement. But isn't that what he said? The devils believe and tremble? Let's move on. 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Brothers and sisters, do you appreciate that statement? Look, he said, at the love of the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a wonderful, wonderful statement that we can be called the sons of God. And with that comes a lot of blessings. And I want to mention a few of them as we go through this this morning. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look what he said. There is therefore now no condemnation. If we walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh, there is no condemnation. Do you believe it? Well, then don't stand in front of this audience and say we're all sinners. Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, where we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now I want to stop right there before I get to this last verse. First of all, he said, the Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. Now look, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We are children of God. And if children of God, then we're heirs of God. Just like you're the child of some man and woman, and you're their heir, so we are heirs of God. And he said, that makes us a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We are children of God, brothers and sisters. Don't say we're sinners. We're children of God that sin once in a while. Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. He said, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever considered the fact that here we're told the Holy Spirit is interceding for us? You think you're worth it? Of course not. But it's a blessing that we have anyway. He is making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Romans 8, verse number 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. God called the children of Israel to be His children under the Old Covenant. He also called them under the New Covenant. He made a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, most of those people rejected it. In Romans 1 and verse number 16, that passage that we use so often, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power of God is in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans 8 and verse number 30. He said, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now I want to stop right and deal with some of these words as we go forward. First of all, the word predestinate or predestination. The word called the word justified, and the word glorified. And I hope you will enjoy and share this with me. The word predestinate. What does it mean? Well, you know, there's a lot of popular doctrine that when you're born, you're predestinated to go to heaven or you're predestinated to go to hell. You can't change it. Well, that's a pretty harsh statement. But it's taking a word and giving it a meaning that God did not intend for it to have. Now I go to Ephesians 1 and verse number 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. The purpose of predestination was the coming of Jesus Christ. That was what was predestinated, that we might be adopted as children of God, that we could be called children of God, that we can be His people. In Mark 16 and verse number 15, Jesus said, And go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why did He make that statement? Because God wants every person to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He didn't predestinate anyone to be lost. But He gave you, He gave all people the opportunity to hear the gospel that we might be saved. Everyone is called by the gospel. Everyone has free will to either accept it or reject it. 
The gospel is something that is for all people. Not some. Some left out. The gospel is for everyone. Now let's deal with that word called. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 14. Whereunto he call you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you put that with what we've already read in Romans 1 and verse number 16, that the gospel is the power of God under salvation to everyone that believeth. And you know, we have read in your hearing, you have heard it read over and over and over, but I'm going to do it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Wherefore we call, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. The gospel, he said, I'm going to tell you again. Which I preach unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We've heard these verses over and over and over, and I'm not discounting them, don't misunderstand. We preach about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But my brothers and sisters, stop with me for just a moment. Think about the love of God that was manifested in those verses. God allowed His Son to die that we might be saved. Do we really appreciate that sacrifice that God the Father and Jesus made for us. We might get a little further down the road if we will talk about the love of God instead of trying to bring people to obey the Lord. There's a difference. If they love Him, they will obey Him. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? That's right. But let's look at that gospel a little more. Romans 6, verse 17 and 18. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But he said, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. When did they become the servant of righteousness? When they obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What's the doctrine? We just read it in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is a form of that doctrine? Well, let's back up in Romans 6 to verses 3 and 4. Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. What happened in the death of Jesus? Another verse that I have that's not on there, PowerPoint, John 19, verse 22, 32 and 33. He said, The blood 
was shed in his death. Remember when that soldier came out there and pierced the side of Jesus? Forthwith came blood and water. And he said, we are baptized into his death. There's the blood. There's the cleansing power. There is where we have all of our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what? No baptism, no blood, no salvation. Because we're baptized into the death of Jesus, there's the blood, the cleansing power, and we are saved, and we, are, uh, we arise to walk in the newness of life. Next scripture, Romans 8 and verse number 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let's deal with that word justified just a moment. Next slide. The word justified means to vindicate, to declare righteous, to put someone in a proper relationship with God. So when he has justified us, he has removed that sin, that ungodliness, as if we had never committed that sin. Psalms 103, verse number 12 said, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. When did he remove those transgressions and cast them away as far as the east is from the west? When we were baptized for the remission of sins. Remember Acts 22 and verse number 16 where Saul was converted? And I said to him, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we have those scriptures that we are to look at and remember. Romans 8 and verse number 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now think just a moment. Look at what he asked. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is God's elect? Brothers and sisters, that's us. Who will lay anything to our charge? It is God that justified. It is God that removed our sin. It is God that threw it as far as the east is from the west. When God justified you, He clothed you with righteousness. He brought you into a special relationship with Him. And I just ask everyone this morning, do you feel that close to God? If not, why not? Galatians 3 and verse number 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Ephesians 2, verse 7 to 9. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And people read that and say, oh, you can't do anything to be saved. 
The works that he's talking about are the Old Testament works and not commandments of the Lord given in the New Testament. Next scripture I want to look at is Romans 8 and verse number 30. We've read this before and I want to read it one more time. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. You feel like you've been glorified this morning? What in the world would that scripture have for us today? Next slide. The word glorified means to raise to heavenly glory. To light up brilliantly or to extol. I challenge you this morning. Every child of God has been raised to heavenly glory. Somebody said, Brother D, that's a pretty powerful statement. How are you going to back that one up? Well, let's do... Let the scriptures back it up. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, he said, by grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters this morning. You're sitting in a heavenly place. Not this building. But the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He raised us up from a watery grave of baptism. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I want to read again in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. He said, And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who was dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among also you all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. We were raised, we were made to sit together in heavenly places. I want to ask you, can we begin to see the greatness of our being a Christian? God the Father has justified and glorified us. I find that very interesting. Look in Romans 8, verse number 31. He asked this question, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Have you ever really considered that? Think of that statement for just a moment. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll tell you, the devil doesn't have a chance. If God is on your side, are you walking close to the Lord? Do you think God is on your side or you think you're fighting this battle all by yourself? 
You know that song we sang just a little bit ago, The Battle Belongs to the Lord? Too many times we think God wants to condemn. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, God is love. That has been over and over and over expressed in our Bible. God is love. And if God is for us, who dare be against us? 1 John 4 and verse number 4 said, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is the one that's in you as a Christian than the devil that's in this world. Romans 8 and verse number 32, he said, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He promised us everything that we need. Look in Ephesians 1 and verse number 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What can we say? He has given us every spiritual blessing that we need. Look in 1 John 4, beginning at verse number 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. So when you read this, what do you think about? God is love. Now let's look in Romans 8, verse number 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is it that has the right, the power, or the circumstances to lay anything of a charge against you as a Christian, as a child of God, of God's elect? He said, it is God that justifieth. God is the one that told you, you can be righteous, you can walk worthy, you can be a child of God. When God has justified us, declared us to be righteous, and brought us into a special relationship with Him, who has the power or the right to say anything against His kingdom? Verse number 34. Who is He that condemneth? I like this question. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that, just, that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now I want to ask you a question. Read that verse. And you tell me that Christ is going to condemn us? When he's seated right today at the right hand of the Father and making intercession for me, he knows I sin. My book tells me I sin, but he's still pleading my case with the Father. He's making intercession for us. Who is he that condemns? 
God the Father justifies. His Son died for us, rose again and sits at the right hand of God, the Father making intercession for us. Think about that for just a moment. And then I want to ask you a question then. Who is it that condemns? Is it God the Father? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit that's also pleading our case? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I find this a very important question. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? He said, shall tribulation? What's tribulation? That's distress or suffering resulting from oppression or persecution. And then the next one he mentions is distress. If you're going to define distress, what's that? Suffering of body or mind, trouble or misfortune, condition of danger or desperate need. Now you think about those two things that he said, are they going to separate you from the love of Christ? And the next one he mentioned is persecution. To cause to suffer because of your belief. Have you really suffered because of your Christianity? Then he said, famine. I don't know anyone in our number that's starving for food. If you know someone, let it be known because it can be taken care of. Nakedness. Peril. A sword. You know a Christian that doesn't have anything to wear? Or that's in a source of danger? And then were you going to answer that question with a big no, no, no. We are more than conquerors. We're more than that. Paul said in verse 37, Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We're more than just somebody that conquers. What's a conqueror? That's to gain surpassing victory. We're more than that, brothers and sisters. That's how important you are as a child of God. You're more than a conqueror. We didn't just gain a victory by arms or by fighting. We overcame how? Through Jesus Christ that loved us. If Jesus loved us enough to die for us, do you think He will allow anything to happen to His body, the church? Remember, He is the head of the body. It's His church. We are His body. He died to purchase us. We are His. We are children of God. And then we get down to verse number 38. There the apostle said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, take that 
home with you. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's in Christ Jesus our Lord. See how great you are? We don't just like to go around and say we're important people. But I'll tell you as a child of God, you are an important person. What's our reward? Heaven with God, Jesus, all the holy angels, forever and ever without end. Brothers and sisters, be faithful. Continue your battle. One day, we'll all go home to glory. May we glorify God in our lives as we are faithful unto Him. As I close my thoughts this morning, I ask you, are you a child of God? Do you enjoy all of these blessings? If you're not a Christian today, why? God loves you enough that He did all of these things that you might be saved. Jesus loved you enough that He was willing to go to the cross and lay down His life. Pour out His blood that you might be saved. May we help you with your salvation this morning as together we stand and sing.